Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Many people experience a traumatic event in their life, and not everybody develops post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. But what exactly is this, and what treatment is available, especially to those who need it here in the islands? Can technology help? Dr. Leslie Moreland from the National Center for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder and Dr. Nancy Cha, clinical psychologist, are here in the studio, and today we're going to explore the causes, symptoms, treatments, and latest programs for outreach for those suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes at 941-3689 on Oahu, toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, why should we be worried about post-traumatic stress disorder? Well, it can dramatically affect the lives of those who suffer from it and all of those around them, family, friends, schools, communities. We are all affected by this condition. But what is it and what causes it? Well, Dr. Moreland, Dr. Cha, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to have you back. Last week in the news segment, we talked about National Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder Awareness Day, which was last week. And hopefully those of you who heard the show heard Dr. Moreland talk a little bit about a little sneak preview of what we're going to discuss today. So let's go over some of the some of the basics. Dr. Moreland, what are some examples of traumatic events that might lead might lead to post-traumatic stress disorder? So anything that um, can cause you to be threatened, your life to be threatened, um, examples would be combat, sexual assault, childhood physical sexual abuse, a serious car accident, a a natural disaster. I think one of the hallmark um, aspects is whether your life is threatened, whether there's maybe uh, danger or some kind of injury. And it's a perception. You may perceive your life is threatened, and it's not. it may not necessarily be, but it definitely could be. And it's how you internalize those feelings that cause the trauma. Exactly. And I think it's one of the um, criteria is that, you know, you experience fear, helplessness, or horror. So it's not just you get exposed to a traumatic event, but it's also how you experience that event in the moment, what we call the peritraumatic experience that you're having when it's when the traumatic event is happening. So these thoughts are going through your head. You said fear and terror, and, and they're happening at the time. Yeah, a lot of times it's uh, fear, helplessness, and horror. And if you okay. think about the idea that you can't control the situation, you can't get out of the situation, so this idea of uh, the ability to... Um, do something about it, often in the moment feeling like you can't do anything about it, not being able to control it, predict it. So what are some of the common stress reactions to being in a traumatic event, Dr. Chaw? Well, I would just add to that as well. I mean, there's also this notion of the um, fight, flight, or freeze um, response, which sometimes um, there's there's not necessarily, for instance, for um, in combat, Maybe there isn't that feeling of fear in the moment, but it comes delayed because in the moment they're just reacting, they're responding, they're fighting. And so they might not even conceptualize what was going on at the time as terrifying until, you know, a little bit later when they're when they're sitting there more accepting the reality of what happened. And so sometimes um, some of those uh, internalized reactions aren't necessarily evident at the moment or at the time. So what are some of these internalized reactions? How might someone mm-hmm. manifest this, this sense of trauma? Right. What, what would they feel? 
There are all kinds of, so there's a couple ways to answer that. I mean, what they might experience are most commonly um, thoughts, memories, um, sometimes emotions like feelings of guilt or shame, um, uh, they, dreams, flashbacks. So there's like re-experiencing symptoms. There's also um, avoidance symptoms of not wanting to get anywhere near um, people, places, situations that remind them of what happened during that particular event. And also just a hyper arousal around um, just anyone and anything, startle responses, kind of checking, scanning to see who's around you, sometimes for no apparent reason, like you're unsure, but you're more vigilant in certain situations, most times in public. So those are some of the ways that you can experience things both, um, both emotionally and physically. And so it really is tied together. It's the emotional and physical aspect of this. Now, these are reactions to a stressful situation. Is there, at what point do those reactions become post-traumatic stress disorder? Is there a defining time? I mean, I can think that if you're in a car accident or, or if you're in combat or you're in some type of accident, you may have flashbacks and extreme amounts of fear, and that may have a self-defined limited duration of time. At what point, Dr. Moreland, does it lead us to believe that we're dealing with PTSD? I think you bring up an important point. Most people have a reaction to a traumatic event. I mean, we look at the reaction is actually quite normal. If you to, don't have a reaction, right. we'd be like, what's what's wrong with you? Okay, so the reaction is normal, right. so, I mean, some the, reaction. The idea that you're exposed to something um, traumatic would be considered not normal, and your reaction of fear, being scared, scared for your life, that's a very normal reaction. When it becomes more problematic is if these symptoms persist beyond three months, and typically, um, not just having the symptoms, but having the symptoms where they're starting to interfere with your life, interfere with your relationships, interfere with your ability to sleep. And in addition to some of the symptoms that Dr. Cha mentioned, a lot of times you can have those symptoms and maybe your family members don't see those, but um, they may see things like irritability, anger, um, you know, feeling more aggressive, maybe um, inability to feel just emotions in general. So sometimes these symptoms are what are more obvious to family members if they don't know that they're having nightmares or avoiding or things like that. Well, we talked last week briefly about avoidance being one of the biggest concerns because if you're avoiding situations, if you're avoiding people, you might also be avoiding help. Absolutely, yes. And I, and I think, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about that, I think, a bit later, but, you know, one of the main ways to get help is to to kind of re you know rediscuss what happened to you, so we it's exposure work where you work with a therapist and um, you kind of walk through what happened and walk through some of the smelling the smells the sounds, what you were thinking, how you make sense of what happened, and that's actually part of the treatment. So you can imagine if one of the symptoms of PTSD is avoidance, coming into treatment can be a little bit challenging. Because, sure, one of the symptoms is not mm -hmm. to let people know right. about it. Now, I'm curious, uh, Dr. Chow, when you work with folks, is is that reliving the experience, whether it be combat or non-combat, is that something that is easy to do? Is it something that some therapists avoid doing? Mm -hmm. it, it, I wonder, you know, if somebody comes back from being in the military, for example, because that's where a lot of our expertise with PTSD has occurred, if they want to talk with their family about what happened, do we encourage that? What do we tell them if they want to have this conversation and tell everybody this is what it was like? 
I think I've never met someone that actually wanted to discuss okay. with their family so anything. It would be rare that somebody would say, yeah. hey, I want to tell you about what it was like. Yeah, there's a fear there, definitely. And then there's a usually a belief that if they shared, the assumption would be that um, they'd be rejected, they wouldn't be understood, um, they'd have to defend why they're still being affected, like something's wrong with them, why can't I just get over it? I think a lot of family members want the best for their um you know, for their loved ones. So I think there's just a desire for them to just feel better already and like an inability to know how. And so I think um, coming into treatment, it's really difficult for them. But I think you're asking as a as a therapist, like, is it difficult to kind of work with someone with that exposure? And I certainly, but I think that as Dr. Moreland was saying, um, what we know is that it's that avoidance that actually um, prevents recovery. It works in the short run, but it actually creates some of that more chronic PTSD. And so we're doing quite the opposite. We're getting someone to really kind of look at um, the whole context of what happened more accurately, not to necessarily relive and rehash, but the reason that the intensity of the emotion is so charged usually for the first time we talk about it is because those emotions haven't been properly encoded because it's they've been avoided so much. So the avoidance leads them not just to avoid treatment, but also to avoid really, I don't want to call it dealing with the situation, but essentially dealing with it and learning to live with that. I mean, I think often, you know, innocent bystanders may say, why can't you just move on? You know, your loved ones, your family, your friends, why do you have to keep rehashing that? Because I guess in my thought, you need to learn to live with it, Mm -hmm. not get over, but live with that experience and work Mm -hmm. through that experience and not just assume ignoring it Mm -hmm. is going to help. Because like you said, avoidance is one of those issues. One, often what people are living with is um, an altered reality. So what they're actually, so we're not asking them to kind of like just tolerate what it was and you can kind of learn from that, but really accurately look back at what really happened because that's usually the accurate picture usually provides relief versus accepting what they think happened based on some of the guilt and shame. So how do you develop that accurate picture? I mean, you describe talking with folks about mm-hmm. the events that happened to them. Now they're describing it from their perspective. Mm-hmm. How do you know what the accurate fact is of what happened? Right. I mean, and that's a really good question. We don't. And so some of that exploration really happens together. Okay. And I think that when we go... Because so much of it is avoided, the intrusive memories are usually just the smallest slice of the memory. And so that smallest slice becomes the whole memory and a skewed memory. A lot of the, um, if I could have, should have, would have done X, Y, Z, then it could have been prevented. Then I wouldn't have gotten myself in that situation. Then, you know, so-and-so wouldn't have been um, hurt or some variation of that. When really, if you put all of the slices together the coulda, shoulda, woulda's probably wouldn't play out that way. It probably would look very different. And we'll never know really um, the full picture necessarily, but we can deduce from a more realistic perspective than an emotion-based one. I see. So really discovering with their experience with them all these different facets and not allowing the emotions to dictate the feeling which dictates the memory which leads them to this event of PTSD. Now, Dr. Moreland, how common is PTSD? I mean, is this something that a lot of people get? Is this a small segment of the population? What are what are the stats there? So, you know, I think that um, we know that a lot of folks are exposed to traumatic events. Um, I think the stats show more than half the population. I think more men than women are exposed, but certainly more women develop PTSD than men. A lot of that has to do with the nature of the trauma. So, 
you know, if you're looking at general prevalence rates for lifetimes, about 8 to 10 percent. But I think if you drill down and look more at specific, um, the, t- the type of trauma, the circumstances around how it happened, the individual that it happened to, that'll give you a more fine-grained understanding. So, for example, we know that interpersonal trauma is much more traumatic than non-interpersonal trauma. So, for example, being sexually assaulted is going to be much more traumatic than, a, you know, a car accident. Um, we know that uh, being, you know, sexually assaulted is in some ways the most traumatic event that can happen to someone. And um, that often happens more to women than men. It certainly happens to men as well. So a lot of times, you know, the rates with women's prevalence in terms of PTSD tends to be higher, but it's really hard to compare types of trauma. But we do know that um, for women following a rape, for example, it's going to be those rates are going to be much higher. Um, The factors that can contribute to who develops PTSD and who doesn't has been a huge area of research for the last decade. And I think it's a really interesting question because the majority don't develop PTSD. And so that question of why, you know, if you have 10 people exposed to trauma, why do only two of them develop PTSD and eight don't? And there's been a lot of research looking at factors like the nature of the trauma, um, looking at someone who... um, who might not have access to good resources either before the trauma, during the trauma, after the trauma. We know social support is a really important resiliency factor. Um, there's um, aspects like having a history of trauma. And if you have a history of trauma and then you get traumatized again, you're going to be more vulnerable to develop PTSD. There's a lot of research recently looking at some of the biological mechanisms that might contribute to those that develop PTSD versus those that don't. So, I mean, I would say, you know, it's, it's as a disorder. It's a relatively young disorder. PTSD came out in the 80s in the DSM. And so we're still learning quite a bit about why someone does and someone does not develop PTSD. Now, do you think it's a young disorder by itself or is it young that we've recognized it? I think, it's, yes, you're absolutely correct. I think in terms of it being in the, the diagnostic nomenclature, it's a young disorder. Um, and often when it's in that framework is going to be more researched. And so I think a lot of the research has been, as you had said, from the Vietnam veteran population and, you know, more recently also from sexual assault. But obviously there's a lot of um, history with PTSD and and from World War II and from, you know, certainly earlier conflicts. You you were referring to the Vietnam veterans and there was an article that came out, I think it was Cleveland Clinic, that was looking at the increased rates of cardiovascular disease in people who were diagnosed with PTSD and the group they looked at were Vietnam veterans. And so that's another manifestation. So not only does this affect you psychologically, but also physically and medically. You know, you could have an increased rate of, of heart attacks, which, I mean, you... In, in some ways, you would say, well, that makes sense because you're under such trauma. I would understand that. On the other hand, this is literally affecting your heart function. And how does that affect you medically as time goes on? So they're now understanding that it is more than just I had a traumatic event and I relive it. This can affect your future emotionally, physically, and it, et cetera. Absolutely. And if you think about you know, the idea that one of the symptoms is being physiologically aroused, hypervigilant, um, you know, that takes a toll on your body. And over time, you know, kind of revving at, you know, on a scale from one to 10, if you're revving at a six or a seven all the time. Your stress hormones your are stress up. Hormones and we up. know that that leads to other problems, right. sugar, cholesterol, you name Reduction it. Reduction so of immune Blood system. pressure, yeah. absolutely illness. So there's a lot of tie in there. Sure, sure. And a, and a lot of reason why 
it's important to get help because I think that um, there's, you know, as you're stating, there's a lot of medical sequelae, but there's also, um, you know, in addition to the symptoms, what can happen is someone learns how to cope with these symptoms by trying to self-medicate. So they can sometimes um, engage in behaviors that are not very good coping, like maybe drinking or self-medicating with drugs or alcohol or smoking or, you know, it comes out in ways that end up being more destructive than just even the symptoms in and of themselves. And so that leads to even more medical problems and worse. Does that, would you say that some of those other behaviors, does it worsen the post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms? I mean, it gets back to the avoidance. Mm -hmm. So they're choosing another pharmacologic treatment. I mean, I definitely think it, what we know is that when you then engage in some of these high-risk behaviors as a way to perhaps cope, you're also then placed in a situation you can be more at risk of getting re-traumatized. So, for example, if you're mm-hmm. drinking to numb kind of the um, the bad feelings that you're having or the hypervigilance, you're also – the more you drink, the more you're put in situations where you're not maybe using good judgment. And so – so it then, you know, there's a saying, trauma begets trauma, where a lot of times you're, the sequelae puts you in a situation where you're trying to do the best you can, but it can, it can send things off track a bit. So that's why it's important things like last week, post-traumatic stress awareness day, getting the word out, letting people realize some of your loved ones may be experiencing this and how important it is. Now, we mentioned avoidance, irritability, hyperarousal, sort of the, the always fight or flight response. What are some of the other classic symptoms of PTSD, Dr. Cha? Um, in addition to that, and I would just add around some of the things that Dr. Moreland said, what, now that we're really working a lot more with women, what we're seeing around some of the avoidance strategies, whereas some of it, you know, um, was mentioned around avoidance, you know, substances and risky behavior, some of the risky behaviors we're seeing with women also can include anything from, like, eating, overeating, not eating at all, um, cutting, um, you know, hyper hypersex, and sometimes you know one might think that after an assault that wouldn't be the case, but I think depending on if something happened previously, some of that that's some of the numbness, the desire to um, fill other voids to avoid really dealing with things, and it's a different way of numbing out. And so some of those symptoms um, can look very confusing, but are certainly um, different kinds of escape mechanisms for from dealing. And that's things that people can look for Mm -hmm. if they're worried about it. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Leslie Moreland. She is the Deputy Director and Clinical Psychologist for the National Center for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder and the U.S. Department uh, of Veterans Program. I guess you are helping with the Pacific Island Healthcare System, helping to work on identifying this and also having people recognize that they have this and treat it. And Dr. Nancy Cha, you're a clinical psychologist at the National Center for Post-Traumatic stress disorder. We'd love to hear from you if you've been diagnosed with PTSD or if you have a loved one who is and you're concerned about their symptoms or what treatment is available, you can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Hula is worldwide these days, with halal springing up all over, especially in Japan. The long connection between lovers of the art here and in Japan is celebrated in the Hula Ho'olauna Aloha Festival, and we'll talk with the event's co-founder tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. On the next Humankind, quote, we don't know how things will work out, 
you know, could be written in the sky by a skywriter, that is a major learning experience about this. A Minnesota couple searches for meaning after a car accident claims the life of their beloved teenage son. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. This evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show here in the studio today with Dr. Nancy Cha, clinical psychologist, National Center for PTSD, and Dr. Leslie Moreland, deputy director and clinical psychologist for the National Center of PTSD, and also an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at John Burns School of Medicine. We're talking about post-traumatic stress disorder. What are some of the symptoms? Who might experience this? And how can we outreach to people to get them some help? If you've had this, if a member of your family has had this, what has helped them the most through their treatment? We'd love to hear from you. You can join us on Oahu at 941-3689, toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, Dr. Mullen, before the break, we were talking a little bit about how some behaviors can help to numb the symptoms of PTSD. People may choose to to look at alcohol or other types of illicit drugs as some way to help them handle this. Are there any, if somebody has a pre-existing mental illness or a pre-existing um, substance abuse issue, are they more likely to get PTSD? I would say they're more likely to be exposed to a trauma. And, okay. um, you know, I think that's where the risk factor comes in. So if you're in a situation where you're using drug or alcohol, you know, I think you're more likely to be placed in a situation or, or, you know, inadvertently put yourself in a situation where you can get assaulted, you can get attacked, you, you're not maybe using good judgment. So I think that association is there. I think, you know, the, um, the numbing, you know, you can use alcohol to numb some of the symptoms, which can then, you know, you can continue this, this cycle where you end up getting re-traumatized. So you're more likely to use these substances after you've had a traumatic experience and potentially put yourself into another traumatic episode. But pre-existing, you drink too much, you smoke too much, that doesn't necessarily mean you're more likely to get PTSD. It really has to do with your personal sensation of the traumatic event. Like I said, I think it would. Yeah. you're more likely to be exposed to exposed a traumatic to it. event okay. because you're, okay. you're going to be out in a situation maybe not using good judgment at times. Does depression predispose to PTSD? It's a tough one. I mean, I realize so I we're kind of no, no, no. You're, so, I mean, I, I, I think I would take a step back and say that we know that PTSD is, you know, first and foremost, it's an anxiety disorder. It's one of the anxiety disorders that has a high rate of what we call comorbidity. So, meaning that a lot of folks with PTSD, PTSD can actually also have um, depression. They can have a substance abuse problem. They can have a panic disorder problem. There's a lot of likelihood. I think like an eighty percent likelihood that you will have another coexisting. Um, disorder. Now, I think the dilemma is, did, you know, pre-disposition uh, pre, uh, to depression make you more likely to get um, PTSD? PTSD? Or is having PTSD going to make you depressed because your life gets very small very fast? And so I think it's a little bit of the chicken or the egg. The end result is that a lot of people... You have them both. You have them both, right. So which came first? Right. Really, at some point, it doesn't matter. Right. Because we're going to talk about treatment, and that's going to incorporate both of those illnesses together. Now, uh, Dr. Nancy Cha, tell us about what sort of treatment do we do currently for PTSD? Mm -hmm. And then I do want to talk about some of the new exciting things that you guys have done using technology. So what are some of the basic ways that we treat PTSD? 
Well, some of the main gold star treatment now, um, particularly rolling out of the VA, as you said, some of the um, research around the combat veterans is is the most widely um, known, which there um, there's cognitive behavioral therapy, more specifically cognitive processing therapy, looking more at the way that um, someone's thoughts and beliefs change as a result of being exposed to a traumatic event, as well as prolonged exposure therapy, which is um, uh, looking more at how to re to go back to the event itself to almost it's a it's a flooding technique to really go back and recount and rehash what happened in order to allow some of the the fear structure that's built in to diminish given that those emotions will ride themselves out and habituate um, there's also eye movement and reprocessing um, and then there's also medications some medications that are seen that known to um, be helpful for anxiety in general. Um, also, some, I believe, just different medications to help with sleep, with um, nightmares. So these are some of the main, um, most effective um, evidence-based treatments out there that we that we have, that we know. So this is what we're doing now. And then I want to mention... Some of the some of the great ways that technology has helped. So we have a couple of callers in the line, um, but there are some new things that you're doing in outreach. So I want to I want to talk about that first, and then we've got some callers. So you know we're in the islands. We've got people all over, and they don't always have the ability to come to Oahu for treatment or to come to a facility for treatment. And they might be in the remote areas where it's kind of difficult for them even to drive or to get somewhere. So how have we used, how have both of you used technology to help? Well, first, I mean, I would back up and say that unlike, you know, five, eight years ago, we didn't have treatments that we know work. Mm -hmm. So this is extremely Mm -hmm. exciting. uh, So now we've got some treatments that we have have proof that that work. work. That Mm -hmm. we call them evidence-based practice. And, um, you know, after the Vietnam War era, you know, we didn't know how to treat PTSD. We do now. And that's extremely exciting. I think what we're challenged with is how do we get access to these treatments to all veterans, to all folks who need um, this treatment. We know that about 40% of returning veterans are going to rural and highly rural areas where they're not going to have access to a specialty care provider. I think Hawaii is a really good example of that where we have a VA here on Oahu, but a lot of our veterans are across the Pacific Rim, including Saipan, um, the Hawaiian Islands, Guam, American Samoa. We have a mandate, we have a requirement to help these folks if they have PTSD. And so I think Hawaii has been one of the cutting-edge folks in terms of looking at innovative technology. And so we've been doing a lot of research for about the last 10 years, looking at how do you use technology to increase access um, to reach out to these veterans who may not otherwise get the treatments. And one of the studies that you guys just finished looked at male combat veterans using like a video conferencing Mm -hmm. system. Dr. Chow, what what would that look like? What, What is that? So we delivered cognitive processing therapy, and we did it in group form. So we just had um, a bunch of veterans in a room, and we had one condition that was in person where um, the therapist was in the room with the veterans, and another condition that was um, called video teleconferencing. So it's essentially um, like Skype or like a big FaceTime, or it's just uh, where my face was over TV screen. Simultaneous, you can hear it live. They can see me. You I can, can see, see them. and hear. If they're yawning. What's going on. Okay. I can say I can see you yawning. <laughs> yeah, and it's contagious, right. and you still yawn right. afterwards. Okay. 
Right. But, so um, you were looking at that, looking at in person, have to be here, mm-hmm. show up here at this mm-hmm. time versus mm-hmm. be somewhere accessible to the mm-hmm. Internet or however you're going to do your video conferencing, probably the Internet. And and what happened with both groups? Was it did you see a big difference? Was the in-person better? Was the I'm accessible, I can be at home better? What did you see? Well, what what I saw was also what we found, which is just that the um, there was really no difference, which is really exciting for us. So get treated, because even if you can't get there, mm-hmm. the treatment can come to you, right? And it right. will still work. That's right, and it's just as effective. Excellent. All right, we've got quite a few callers on the line. Let's start with Mike from Kahului. Mike, welcome to the Body Show. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What can we do for you today? Uh, my main question is, is how does one find help for PTSD, OCD-related disorders, uh, and brain damage on Maui? I'm uh, Medicaid Quest, and my health care provider is United Healthcare, and nobody wants to deal with them. I can't get any type of treatment. Now, can I ask you, Mike, have you served in the military? Uh, not in the military, per se. Okay. So you have been diagnosed with PTSD, and uh-huh. yet you don't have availability and access that you're aware of to some of the resources to help you. Yep. Okay, great question. I hope we've got an answer. Dr. Moreland? So, you know, I would look up the Hawaii Psychological Association, HPA, um, and they actually have a great resource that lists psychologists, and I know they're there in Maui, um, who specialize in anxiety disorders. And typically, those that specialize in anxiety disorders, especially if you're also struggling with OCD, they would be able to help you. And I believe on their website, you could actually even... Uh, email and, and see if you can get referrals to uh, providers. I don't have email capabilities. I have a phone. Okay. Um, do you have access to the internet? I have a phone and I make phone calls. That's all I can do. Well, Mike, there's good news. Public libraries have the internet <laughs> and they might be able to help you. Yeah. And that might be a way that you can take a look and see if some of these resources are available. I guess you could also look up Hawaii Psychological Association in the phone book or call information, and they can help you to navigate through these same things. No, absolutely. I I think there's a couple ways you can get a hold of HPA, and they're usually a wonderful resource to get you to where you need to go. So phone, internet, website. Mike, we wish you luck. Thanks. All right. Thanks for joining us today and calling. We've got a couple more callers. We have Carol from Wailua. Carol, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Hi, Carol. What can we do for you today? My question is, um, or my statement slash question is, I think what the service, you know, what serving PTSD is, is great and needed and all of that, but I'm confused by the the diagnosis because there's, you know, like totally deep trauma from people coming from the war, but then there's also people just in domestic situations that are dealing with what some of us think is just life. And I'm not talking about abuse because that could definitely be PTSD. But there's some diagnosis, and it just seems um, confusing to me that you've got such serious cases called PTSD and then such not-so-serious. 
Well, Carol, it's an interesting thing. What what part of that do you have a question about? What? How do? You, how come there's such a big um, a variation of the same diagnosis when you've got people coming from the war that um, have PTSD, and that then you have people that don't like their neighbors that have PTSD. Well, it's a great question, Carol. And, you know, one of the things that it likens to me is sometimes I have people who have diabetes and they have severe diabetes and they've got troubles with needing insulin and they need all these extra therapies. And then there's people who have a mild case and they can work on their diet and that can also be helpful. So, you know, there's a couple of different ways that we can look at this. And one of the things, Dr. Cha, that you mentioned, which really kind of hit it home for me is that PTSD is based on the individual's experience of the trauma and their emotions therein. So someone might do great at war and have no problem and have lots of traumatic experiences and be that two out of uh, eight out of 10 who don't get PTSD, Dr. Moreland, and two people might, the depth of that trauma is more their individual experience. Is it necessarily some traumatic events are worse than others? Or should we make this more individualized so that we realize as a community that the trauma might be something we may not recognize as really bad, but it still affects that individual and gives them the same symptoms? Yes, I mean, I I think how we understand it, like you were saying, was just really how you can have the same experience to different people and someone can see it and see that, you know, that was a horrible thing that happened. I feel horrible about it. I know that there was nothing I could do. I did the best I could have with what I had at the time and walk away really grieving, really um, upset about it, but does not develop the symptoms related to PTSD. Another person might see that exact same situation and say, um, you know, I it's it's my fault. I should have gotten there sooner. Um, if I wouldn't have um, had that conversation, maybe something like that would have happened and then carry with them. Now, I guess, so that's the same situation, two different perspectives. So it's the way that someone experiences the event that really affects one, what, how one sees and thinks about it, and then how it affects how somebody feels about it. Well, and I think it's sort of, Carol, it gets back to the issue where it doesn't have to be a big trauma, but we should respect the people who have the diagnosis and recognize that they're suffering. And if there's something we can do to help them, we want to be part of that. Dr. Moreland? Well, and I would say, and I would completely agree with Dr. Cha, but I would also say that this has been such an important question in the field. Mm-hmm. And so there are certainly some variables that we know are going to increase the risk of developing PTSD. So yes, a lot is about the individual, the nature of the trauma. But we know, for example, um, if you incurred an injury, you're more likely to develop PTSD. If um, you, the more you con- felt in control of the event or the more out of control you were in the event, Um, how much support you had during and after. For example, after if you have a a good social support network and you're able to talk about it versus if you kind of shut it away and don't ever bring it up, um, how intense and how long the traumatic event was. Um, If the person that um, was the perpetrator was someone that was close to you, so there's a real sense of betrayal of trust, um, 
so there's, I mean, we, we know that there's certainly factors that are going to increase the likelihood that, um, that you would develop PTSD. You know, age is one. Um, if you're, you know, if you're quite young and you're trying to make sense of things and this horrible experience happens to you and you don't necessarily have the skills to really process and understand it. Um, so, I mean, so there's a fair amount of research trying to better kind of help formulate who's, you know, more at risk. One of the, um, I think, most exciting variables that comes up so consistently is, is social support. And I think it's one of those variables that we can do something about. Um, you know, we can help build in social support for folks immediately after a trauma. We can help educate their support network, which is their family. Um, we know that is probably one of the most um, important resiliency factors. And so I think it's a really part of, you know, the PTSD Awareness Day is helping not just the individuals, but their support network be more supportive in the face of these things. All right. Well, Carol, I hope that helps you to understand a little bit more about PTSD. And it's 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 an experience that we hope no one has, but hopefully as a society, we'll be able to help support those who do have it. We've got quite a few callers on the line. We've got Carla from Kona. Carla, thanks for being patient. What can we do for you today? Hi there. Um, I, I'm a painter. I've been a painter for a few years, um, 25 years. Anyway, after about eight husbands, I had a complete meltdown a few years ago, and um, I was taken into the psychiatrist and to doctors, and it was, uh, I found out I had, my adrenal glands were shot. There was nothing left of them. And I wasn't depressed, and I'm not depressed. I'm just blank and kind of flat. But I've been diagnosed with Asperger's, which is a form of autism, and ADD and PTSD. And my question is, um, it's really, the energy level for me is really low, and I, I don't know if um, I've been reading a lot about ADD, and I'm wondering whether Ritalin for ADD uh, would help with the PTSD, or if it, or if it would kind of mess up my adrenals again. It's a great question, Carla. Does Ritalin act as a treatment that you use for your other condition, ADHD? Does it affect PTSD? Uh, Dr. Chubb, we talked about some of the medications used. Some of the ones on the list are SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, often used for anxiety, depression, also benzodiazepines. Um, but Ritalin, that's an interesting question. Would it potentially make PTSD worse or no general effect or unknown? Well, I'm definitely not a MD, but um, as long as I've seen, I've never seen Ritalin used at all. Not as a treatment, treatment for PTSD, it. Yeah. Okay. Dr. Moreland, I would kind of wonder, you know, for those people who take something that, you know, it's treating one condition, could it actually exacerbate another condition? I, I wouldn't have thought of Ritalin for PTSD, but it's an interesting thought. Any experience with that or have you heard of that at all? I, th I would, similar to Dr. Cha, I haven't heard of Ritalin. I mean, it sounds like there's a couple of different conditions that are being right. treated, and the hope is that your treating physician is is aware of how one can um, interact with the other presentation. And that's why I'm so glad we have experts who can actually handle those things, mm -hmm. because that would be very difficult. I know even as a, as a medical doctor, as an internist, that's a good question, and uh, I don't know if I really have a good answer for you, Carla, but it's definitely something to look into. So I do hope that you are doing better and that if this works for you, 
you would be a great person to get back to us and say, hey, it works great. I'd love to hear more about it. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Nancy Cha, clinical psychologist, National Center for PTSD, Dr. Leslie Moreland. She is the deputy director and clinical psychologist for the National Center of PTSD, also works through UH and at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. When we come back, we've got a couple more callers to talk with. We're talking about PTSD. And if you've had it or you have a question about how to treat it, this is your time to ask an expert. You can join us, 941-3689-877, 941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We'll be right back. Stay with us. There's a good way to know you found a restaurant where dessert will be worth the extra calories. If there are state fair blue ribbons in the pie case. Jane and Michael Stern serve up an assortment of American road food. And life's a little wilder on the rugged coast of British Columbia. Gray whales, humpbacks, orcas, you have grizzlies on the beach. Go wild and well-fed on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m., following Fresh Air. In HPR's Atherton Studio, we do it island style with an intimate performance by John Cruz in an added concert Friday, July 5th at 7.30. This acclaimed Hawaiian musician, winner of a Grammy and many Nahokuhano Hano Awards, has performed at Carnegie Hall and other prominent national venues. For the first time, he brings his heartfelt melodies and soulful vocals to the Atherton, Friday, July 5th. For reservations, call 955-8821 during business hours. Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome back to The Body Show. We are talking today with Dr. Nancy Cha and Dr. Leslie Moreland from the National Center for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. And we're talking about some of the new therapies that are out there for this particular problem and how we're using technology and video conferencing to outreach to those in neighbor areas to try and help. We've had some great callers on the line. We have a couple more on hold. Let's get right into it. Diana from the Big Island, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Thanks for calling us today. What can we do for you? Well, I've had PTSD for 16 years, and I've tried many different therapies and um, a lot of research, you know, personal research. So I thought I'd just suggest a few things that a lot of people have not heard of. Okay, and, let's hear it. Yeah. One is right after the incident, um, it would be great to understand to, that you need to go to a very quiet, calming, soothing environment, which is a, most psychologists don't address that. And nature or, and I went and camped out and was a very calm and a calm place that helped tremendously. Okay, and, um, so be and, calm is one of your suggestions. What would well, be another suggestion? At home and, and in nature. Okay. You know, to, instead of just going out in the city or town or more um, stressful environment, is a, it's to heal the nervous system, really. Okay. And then the cranial sacral therapy, it was the first time that I felt actually re-entering my body and was calm. And okay. That, like I said, I tried a lot. And the other two ones that are getting more attention now is the NADA procedure, N-A-D-A, of acupuncture. And the military has just finished a study on that, too. Okay. The best I've, I've tried is actually brain spotting. And that you do not have to actually keep recalling the event, but just internally. And it shifted my consciousness and my physicality so deeply it was... It was radical shift. 
Um, All right, Diana. Yeah. So you've got four suggestions on what people can do. Go to a calm, quiet environment. Things that worked for you included craniosacral therapy, the NADA procedure with acupuncture, and brain spotting. So it sounds like really we're looking at these different types of treatments and even going into the field of what some people may call alternative medicine as ways to really help people who suffer from PTSD. So thank you for sharing your experience, Diana. I really appreciate hearing that. And I'm glad it's been 16 years and you sound like you've done very well. So I'm happy for that. And I'm glad you found something that works great for you. We've got a couple more callers in the line. We have a Dr. Kepler from Maui. Welcome to the Body Show. Well, thank you. Thanks for calling. What can we do for you? Uh, I'm a sex assault forensic examiner. I've uh, headed up our medical team here on Maui for quite a few years, like 20 years or so. And, um, of course, we uh, we consider our exam to be the like the first step in the healing process for uh, women when they've undergone a sex assault. I think my question, by the way, I think it's a wonderful show you're having today. I appreciate the discussion that I've heard so far. Well, Uh, thanks, and thanks for your hard work in Maui for 20 years now. Yeah, it's been great, actually. But my question for you, though, is what can we do as, like, first responders, the first people, or the very one, some of the early people to see someone who's been traumatized, and it wouldn't have to, of course, be only a physician. What can other people do right away um, to help? Great question. Things we can say, things like that. Fabulous. Great question, Dr. Kepler, because anybody who's out there who has a family member who is suffering from this, or if they happen to be a first responder, whether it be a doctor or a friend, somebody finally shares their experience, what can they say that might help? Dr. Moreland? I think it's a a really good question. I I would definitely want to normalize their experience um, so they are not feeling any kind of shame or any kind of feeling bad if they're having a strong reaction. If it's immediately after a trauma, the best thing you could do is also give them some information about, you know, what to look for and how to to take care of themselves. I think making sure that they're just taking care of themselves in terms of sleep and hygiene and um, hydration and... Um, and also, I would see if they have social support because after they leave your office, you may or may not see them again. But if they know that they can pull in their social support who can help them through that process, I think those would be some really important steps that I would take initially. Dr. Cha, what can I say? So let's say I'm Dr. Kepler, who's listening in Maui. Thank you for calling us. Someone comes in, they have been a victim of a sexual assault. What words can he say? Well, again, I I would reiterate just that um, whatever and however the reaction is coming out, it's quite common and it's quite natural. It's normal to be upset and validate that they are upset Mm -hmm. and they've suffered something very traumatic. The the emotional, I mean, what it is that experience isn't common, but their reaction to it is quite natural. And then so in doing so, the hope is to allow... Um, the person to be able to feel whatever natural emotions come out of that experience. I think um, just avoiding and preventing that natural emotion um, actually is one of the main things that prevents recovery. So don't say, don't cry, don't cry. It's more like, I recognize that you are traumatized. I understand this is very upsetting and it's okay to cry. Yeah, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be angry. Angry, scream, 
hopefully not kick, but okay. <laughs> I mean, it's validate their experience and their symptoms and acknowledge mm-hmm. and allow it. Mm-hmm. And maybe even recognizing that what they've been through sounds really traumatic, even just kind of identifying it as something a little more than, oh, you know, that happened to you, that's unfortunate, but like naming that, you know, that sounds like it, you know, is pretty traumatic, might just even acknowledge what it is that they experienced. All right. Excellent question, Dr. Kepler. Thank you for calling us. We've got another caller on the line. We have Fred from Honolulu. Fred, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, thank you. Thank you. I'll tell you my story briefly. Uh, uh, Two years sober, I was diagnosed with PTSD. And uh, what brought me to a therapist's office was I found myself uh, periodically going into white-hot rages with my children Uh, seemingly for no reason. At the same time, I was having these disturbing memories, uh, which I didn't know if they were true or not, of physical sexual abuse uh, that I suffered as a child. So anyway, I got into therapy, and they told me, yeah, I grew up in an alcoholic family, and yes, I was abused, and yes, this was the root cause of my, uh, my parenting problem. And uh, so I was mimicking what happened to me to a certain degree, and it was very similar. Uh, some days I would be nice, Mr. Dad. Other days I would be so checked out, I was like a piece of furniture. And then I would have the rages also. And so I got into therapy, group therapy, and I, it really healed a lot. I met people who had very similar stories. So the shame and the idea that it was a secret, I could get beyond that. The other thing I did, which was very important, was start to go to Al-Anon which is a 12-step meeting for relatives and friends of alcoholics. By the way, my name isn't Fred, really. It's, we, we practice anonymity at the level of press, radio, TV, and film. So, But I need a name to get on the air. So, That's I, wonderful, Fred. You can be Fred to us. Yeah, that's great. So it's really it's been a journey, and I've done very well. Uh, at times when something traumatic happens, I, I leave my body to the point where I don't know if I can get through a doorway because uh, I feel like I'm three feet outside my body. It hasn't happened that often, but when something really happens, I just leave my body. So uh, what you found really worked for you, Fred, was addressing the issue, going to therapy, going to Al-Anon, and working through that process to help you. Absolutely, and it was the, the group, the idea of the group was so important. Uh, the, the sexual abuse part, I learned about that because I heard a woman in group saying how she would leave her body when her stepdad would come down and, you know, he knew, she knew what was going to happen, come down the hallway. And at that point, I remember when I left my body and my aunt, my drunk aunt, had climbed into bed with me. And I still remember it. I climbed into this little crack in the wall behind this little paint ball, you know. And, uh, you know, shocking, disturbing, PTSD kind of things, but it was because of that that I am now a a moderate, healthy person (laughs) and a very good parent. All right, Fred. Well, I think your kids owe you a lot of credit for putting in the effort to go through those experiences, come out, be a healthier person, recognize other people's trauma, find power in group therapy, and be able to really 
become a better parent after all of that. So thank you for sharing your experience. For others who doubt that group therapy can help, this might be what they need to hear to help them to be interested and want to reach out. All right, we have another caller on the line. We have Melissa from Maui. Melissa, up. Oh, we have Jen from Kona. We lost Melissa. Let's go to Jen. Jen from Kona, welcome to The Body Show. Hello, and thank you. Yes, I'm a 50% disabled veteran due to PTSD, and I, I was given that diagnosis about 20 years after leaving the service, which was uh, about a year ago that I received the diagnosis. So I'm just now learning about PTSD and, and things that I, I, behaviors that I have, you know, the isolation, other common behaviors to PTSD. What I'm wondering, is there been any studies pertaining to physical exercise and in particular yoga helping with this? Great question, Jen. Yoga does a lot of good stuff. Is yoga been studied, studied to help with people who have PTSD? Dr. Moreland, are we, we're looking at some other things right now with PTSD. Are we looking at yoga or exercise? You know, I, I think that that falls under the alternative category, and there's absolutely some studies underway. I believe there's a couple funded by the Department of Defense looking at the value of yoga um, for PTSD. And and it may not be that it's always the central or primary treatment, but it may be even sometimes what is um, in, in addition to. And so I think that physical exercise and yoga both um, are are used a lot and are recommended a lot by um, psychologists for folks that are struggling with anxiety disorders. I, like I said, I think there's some early stage trials underway. Now, speaking of trials, there's some exciting things that you're doing right now. So if people are interested in finding out more about what the VA is doing, first of all, where can they get more information in general? Dr. Child, do you have some information? If they want to go to a website and they have computers, where can they go? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the current study we have going on now underway is um, for women in particular. So you um, men, veteran out there, we just wrapped up our study. Um, but we would. But we do have some websites yes, for them to get some information. We do, and okay. would definitely encourage you to check out the, the VA who have all the same treatment there and um, a really great um, traumatic stress recovery team. Um, so if somebody just wanted to find out about that, they can go to where? Um, PTSD, www.ptsd.va.gov. Okay, and that's just general information mm-hmm. on PTSD. Mm-hmm. Good, because we had a shy caller who wanted to know. Mm-hmm. And is there a phone number that they could call if they just were worried about having PTSD? So if they're worried about having PTSD, I would go to the website. There's a lot of go to the website. information okay. where you can self-assess, you can screen. Um, but there's also a crisis number through the VA. If you're if someone's in crisis, you can call 1-800-273-TALK, which is 8255. And that's for any veteran who might be experiencing a crisis. Um, there's a tremendous amount of resources going into suicide prevention as well for veterans with PTSD. If you're a veteran um, and you want services, the VA has made tremendous strides in the last several years to make sure that veterans, no matter where you're located, will have access to some of these evidence-based treatments for PTSD. Um, I think you would go to your your local VA clinic. They're on all the neighbor islands, and they actually are doing video teleconferencing out Mm -hmm. to some of these more remote islands. So, you know, I think if you go in there and say – you know, you want CPT or you want prolonged exposure, 
a lot of times you if you the more you ask for what you want and need the more educated you are the more likely you'll get it so i suggest going to the website learning about everything we know about the disorder the treatments that are available and walking into the clinic and, and seeing what you can do to get those services all right so for general information ptsd.va.gov for crisis phone numbers, 1-800-273-TALK. Now, you're doing a specific study, and Dr. Cha, you mentioned it briefly. You said we completed the one with men. We're looking at women, and we're looking at those who have been diagnosed with PTSD. What group in particular are you trying to outreach to to help with this research project? We're really open here. It's just it's all women, um, community women, reserve, guard, um, So military, non-military. Anybody, okay. anyone and everyone it has to be over um, 18. Okay. Um, and what we're really looking at is it's individual treatment. You don't have to be already diagnosed with PTSD. We do that assessment for you. Um, so you can just be wondering, do I have it? Part of being in the trial is they do an assessment to determine if you right. have PTSD. That's right. Military, non-military, open. That's right. Okay. That's right. And so if you call, we can do a phone screen and try to kind of figure out if this is something that we might want to um, move forward. But to get that information. Um, now, who are they calling? They're calling. Are they um, talking to you? They are calling our assessment coordinator. Okay. Who's fielding all our calls. And you can call her directly at uh, 438-2522. And that's 808-538-2522. Okay. 538-2522. Or... Okay. They can visit us um, in the on the web at www.pathwaystochangehawaii.com. And what exactly are you studying? So if somebody talks to you, they get enrolled, your enrollment coordinator says, this is someone who's going to be in this study. What exactly are you studying? Are we looking at our video conferencing, teleconferencing? Mm-hmm. We are, but... Um, to be honest, I think the the women really don't know a difference in that. They're just receiving the 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 best treatment um, for their PTSD, and it's intensive. So it's a treatment study. So you're going to enroll right. them in treatment right. for their PTSD. So they'll okay. either be enrolled in an in person treatment or the video teleconferencing. Okay. Um, and then you know they get they get the the full twelve sessions, um, the full dose. And uh, and one of the things we've done is we try to offset the cost of gas, and right. so we do give folks gift cards um, just to be able to not have distance be a disincentive. We know it can be expensive to to drive if you're coming from. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of folks coming from Waianae from different parts of the so island. So to drive to physically get there to if they're involved in the in person. Well, actually, for for regardless, they'll come to regardless. the clinic. And so okay. um, and then if they they would get randomized. They would get the twelve sessions of treatment. Um, they get followed up at three and six month mm-hmm. follow up. Mm-hmm. So they're involved with the project for you know well over almost a year mm-hmm. and um, a little less. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we are on the home stretch of the project. We've had tremendous positive results, mm-hmm. um, not just with the data, but with anecdotes, with folks saying that they've really benefited from the project. So it's gone very well. We're fortunate to be able to open it up to the community. Um, historically, we've always done work within the VA, and, it's, and that's been wonderful. But this is a unique opportunity where we're actually recruiting in the community for women. And so we are only doing this for about another eight months. So we really want folks in the community who have interest, who are struggling with PTSD, to give us a call, and we'll see if we can get you what you need. Mm-hmm. If you are not eligible for the project or you don't meet the criteria, we try to do a soft handoff to another resource in the community. So there are some options. Yes. Even if this isn't a study you can participate in, we are going to help you get information about PTSD. All right. Well, I need to say, Dr. Nancy Cha, Dr. Leslie Moreland, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your expertise with us on The Body Show. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thank you so much.
All right. Dr. Nancy Cha is a clinical psychologist at the National Center for PTSD. Dr. Leslie Moreland is the direct deputy director and clinical psychologist for the National Center for PTSD and the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and also an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the John Burns School of Medicine. If you do need those phone numbers in a crisis, 1-800-273-TALK. That's 8255-1-800-273-TALK. You can also go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org, ptsd.va.gov. I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak, our producer, Beth Ann Koslovich, our engineer, David Chong. See you next week on The Body Show. Mm-hmm.